As a young girl, Helen Anderson Cole dreamed of being a famous singer. She took walks through a park near her family's home in St. Louis, Missouri, as she sang at the top of her lungs. She naively hoped a Hollywood talent scout might hear her. Her family was impoverished and often lacked basic necessities, but Helen dreamed her singing talent would one day change all that and rescue them from their desperate situation. Helen's voice never did attract the attention of a Hollywood agent, but it did earn praise from Pastor Harry Branding. Helen met Pastor Branding when her family attended Pentecostal revival services at a mission hall located at 11th and Hickory in St. Louis. When Helen received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, she could not speak a word of English for three days afterward. Pastor Branding recognized God's hand on this young lady's life and told her, Helen, I saw you singing in front of thousands of people all around the world. Despite a life-changing spiritual experience and her pastor's encouragement to pursue the call of God, Helen still felt this pull of earthly fame. A friend told her that the municipal opera was holding additions, and she auditioned. She saw the camera, she saw the flashbulbs brighten the room, and she thought, finally, at last, I've been discovered. Helen was elated to be chosen as one of three finalists. But at church the following evening, Helen was surprised when somebody approached her and warned her, and possibly in an eerie voice, be sure your sins will find you out. She soon discovered that her photo had appeared on the front page of the St. Louis Globe Democrat newspaper as one of the three finalists from the municipal opera. That night, Helen repented of her ambition for worldly fame and worldly glory, and she decided to consecrate her talents and gifts to the Lord. Helen eventually became a singing evangelist, traveling around the world, sharing the gospel through preaching and singing, and she saw thousands receive the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Harry Branding's prophecy was fulfilled repeatedly throughout her life. And in addition, Helen was frequently invited to sing at the annual general conference of the United Pentecostal Church International. Her children later recalled, We never saw our mother ever come to the platform to sing without the congregation coming to their feet in worship. Like many believers past and present, Helen Anderson Cole discovered that the rewards of serving Jesus are far greater than anything this world has to offer. And we're going to hear more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast. Today's episode stems from a lesson titled Kingdom Values, dated February 12th, 2023, and it stems from Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Scripture records, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now we know this guy as the rich young ruler. As I mentioned in last episode, you he hit the trifecta. He was rich, he was young, he was powerful. We can't specify how rich. We don't really know how young. We don't even know how powerful. We just know he had it all going for him. 
He addressed Jesus as good master. Both his words and his posture communicated respect. Then he asked Jesus a question that should be on everybody's lips. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Despite the distractions of youth and wealth and power, this young man appeared to have an intense hunger for spiritual matters. He also recognized Jesus had the answer to the question he was asking. Sadly, his entrance was marked with far more excitement than his exit. He arrived in a rush, in a hurry, eager for an answer. Mark 10 verse 22 records, he went away grieved. His encounter with Jesus did not turn out like he hoped. Even Jesus' disciples were shocked by their master's response. 2,000 years later, Jesus' words still challenged those who live in cultures where affluence is widespread, where that is the goal, if I can just get rich. But Jesus cut right to the heart and said God's kingdom is about giving and serving, not buying and getting and having. Jesus responded to the rich young ruler's question with a question of his own. Don't you love when people do that? You ask them a question, then they ask you a question to answer the question. Well, Jesus did that all the time. And he asked this question, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God, Mark 10, verse 18. Jesus challenged the young man to consider what he really believed about the one he was addressing. If we don't comprehend who Jesus really is, we'll not be able to fully commit everything in our lives to him. This rich ruler's reaction revealed he really didn't know Jesus. And that brings us to our first question. How is understanding Jesus' identity connected to obeying his commands? Jesus told this young man he needed to keep the commandments, and a smile broke across his face, wider than a watermelon, when he told Jesus, Ha ha, check. I've kept those ever since I was a young guy. He no doubt expected to earn Jesus' commendation for being so faithful, being so obedient. Pat him on the back. Congratulations, young man. You've done everything right. But Matthew offered a hint that this rich young ruler still felt a void in his life. After noting he had kept all the commands Jesus had listed, the young man still had a question. What lack I yet? There's got to be something more. Matthew 19, verse 20. Despite a lifetime of commandment-keeping, this rich ruler recognized something was missing. Youth, wealth, power, all three of that together still hadn't filled the emptiness inside of him. He came to Jesus looking for more. And Jesus' reaction is encouraging to anybody who's ever felt that emptiness. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Mark wrote in verse 21 that Jesus looked at him and loved him, even though he knew this young man would not respond favorably to what Jesus was about to say. This highlights the deity of Jesus. John wrote of Jesus, he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man, John 2, verse 25. Jesus knows what's in us. He knows our greed, our selfishness, our self-centeredness. But here's the miracle. He loves us anyway. Love is not afraid to speak the truth. Jesus loved this young man enough to tell him what he was missing. Jesus said, you're right, one thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. Whoa, I did not expect that. I'm not ready for that. This rich young ruler was not ready for that level of commitment. His life was 
so full of gaining and getting this material abundance and power and influence that he left no margin for serving other people. Maintaining his stuff, growing his wealth, that's what consumed his life, although he didn't realize it. Jesus was offering him freedom from the tyranny of too much. But this young man could not bring himself to throw off his golden chains and embrace this eternal life he claimed to seek. Instead, Mark 10, verse 22 records, He was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He could not fathom exchanging everything he had for what Jesus had to offer. Paul wrote later, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Now, money is not the root of all evil. Some have claimed it. It's not true. Money is not the root of all evil, but this inordinate affection for money and material gain and getting it, it has led to countless sorrows, ruined lives, even lost souls. As we become so infatuated with stuff here that we forget we are living for heaven there. The problem with riches is they often possess us instead of us possessing them. Here's another question. Why do you think the lure of wealth is such a powerful temptation? And in what ways does material wealth serve as an idol? Jesus offered the antidote to the affliction and the addiction of affluence. His words sounded contradictory to this rich young ruler. They still turn modern conventions of success on its head. Sell whatever you have, Jesus challenged him, and you will have. Mark 10, verse 21. That made no sense. Wait a minute. How am I going to have if I sell everything I have? This rich ruler's life was overflowing with possessions. He had no room to receive eternal blessings that he claimed he was seeking. Many people today in our materialistic world, they face the same problem. We work overtime. We pursue side jobs, side hustles so we can afford more stuff or make payments on the stuff we already have. That often leaves us too exhausted to pray or to study God's Word. We pack our kids' schedules with games, tournaments, recitals, hoping one day they'll earn a coveted college scholarship so they can enjoy a great-paying career and pay off our house. But if all those extracurricular activities and athletics and recitals and practices and games and tournaments, if they happen to squeeze out Sunday worship or midweek Bible study or family devotion— Some people dismiss that as collateral damage. Well, that's just the price of doing business. No, it doesn't have to be. Jesus doesn't call every believer to post a for sale sign in the front lawn and sell everything in the garage. But he does call us to clear the clutter that keeps us from him. For some, that might include parting with a few material possessions. If bass boats, motorcycles, golf clubs, other stuff consistently keep us from doing the will of God, It might be time to ask ourselves if we possess them or they possess us. Here's another question. What gifts do you think God wants to give you? And is anything keeping you from receiving those gifts? Now, the things I just mentioned, they're not evil, they're not wicked. But if they possess us rather than us possess them, they very well may become an idol. Jesus didn't ask the rich young ruler to do something He himself was unwilling to do. Jesus already laid aside the glory of heaven, which was worth far more than everything this young man owned. 
Jesus embraced the suffering of earth. Paul explained that sacrifice in great, beautiful, grand detail in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. When Scripture tells us that Jesus made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In Jesus Christ, God willingly surrendered everything so we could have eternal life. The call to follow Jesus is a call to radical selflessness. It is not a call to happiness. It is a call to selflessness and holiness. It's a call to put others first, to seek the kingdom of God above all else, even if that means abandoning what we had previously held dear. As the rich young ruler sulked away, Jesus turned to his disciples and shocked them out of their sandals with his next sentence. How hardly shall they who have riches enter the kingdom of God? Then to drive home the point, he repeated himself. Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Mark 10, verses 23 to 25. In his book, The Words and Works of Jesus Christ, J. Dwight Pentecost points out, quote, The popular explanation that the eye of a needle referred to a small gate within the large city gate has no historical basis. Christ was not showing that it is difficult for one who trusts in riches to enter the kingdom. He was showing that it is utterly impossible, end quote. It is impossible for anybody to earn salvation, whether they have the money to pay for it or the good deeds to do it. We'll never earn salvation. We need the grace of God. The disciples were speechless. Jesus' words hit them like a ton of tortilla chips. In their minds, wealth and power were sure signs that God had given favor and blessing. If someone like the rich young ruler, a wealthy man who faithfully kept the law of Moses, could not earn heaven, what hope did they have? These are poor Galilean fishermen. They don't stand a chance. And Jesus quickly reassured them, With God, all things are possible. We know God can save sinners from drug addiction, alcoholism, immoral lifestyles, but he can also save sinners who are ensnared by financial abundance and material wealth. We might not think of ourselves as wealthy, but the average resident in North America has far more than most of our global neighbors. Many North American believers can say along with the Laodiceans, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing. There are many believers in North America who struggle financially and lack basic necessities, but even most of us are abundantly more wealthy than most of the world. But may Jesus' response to those Christians who have prospered financially, let it not be, knowest thou that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Revelation 3, verse 17. Next question. In what ways can material wealth blind us to our need for God? If God has blessed us with material wealth, let's be grateful. We don't have to apologize for what we have or feel guilty because we have more than somebody else, but we must also be careful not to cling so tightly to it that our blessings become a curse. Jesus assured Peter and the rest of his disciples that every sacrifice they would ever make would be rewarded. What was true for them is true for us. God sees every sacrifice we make on behalf of his kingdom for his glory, and Mark 10 verse 30 tells us he will reward a hundredfold. 
The blessings God gives in return will always be far greater than our original sacrifice. And best of all, Jesus promised his followers eternal life in the world to come. Just as Jesus called the rich young ruler to follow him, Jesus calls us to come, to take up our cross and follow him. Carrying a cross might require us to abandon other pursuits. It may cause us to reshuffle our priorities. We can't carry a cross for Jesus and carry the baggage of the world at the same time. We have to lay one of those down. Carrying a cross requires us to deny ourselves. Jesus previously told his followers, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, Mark 8, verse 34. In words that foreshadowed his encounter with his rich young ruler, Jesus asked, for what shall it profit a man if he would gain the whole world, yet lose his own soul? It seems like that's what this rich young ruler did. He gained the whole world, but it appears he lost his soul, and that was the only thing of any value. Let's decide to put God first. Let's pick up a cross. God sees every sacrifice you make. Not one is overlooked. Not one is forgotten. And you can trust that he will reward a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. Final question. What does putting Jesus first look like in your life? And with that, we wrap this up. The past 2,000 years of Christian history are filled with stories of people willing to do what the rich young ruler was not, give up seemingly everything for the sake of the gospel. From Jesus' first disciples to present-day missionaries, many people have been willing to lay down even their lives so the message of Jesus could be preached. But not every story of heroic sacrifice happens in a faraway land. Many have played out in our local church and our churches who are near us. Many of the strongest apostolic Pentecostal congregations were founded by men and women who work long hours by day to support their families and spent evenings and weekends preaching, teaching, reaching for lost people in their communities. And as a result, families have been saved, lives have been changed, and spiritual legacies have been established. Other believers gave up what seemed to be great opportunities because they feared it would compromise their commitment to Jesus. A young man named John quit school after completing eighth grade because his older brother told him he could not go to high school and be a Christian. Now, obviously, that's not the case. But John believed his brother, and he decided serving Jesus was more important than getting an education. He never attended high school, but he did live a rich, fulfilling life, and he died in the faith. Sadly, his brother, on the other hand, died at a young age from lung cancer brought on by a cigarette addiction. The writer of Hebrews sums up the stories of the unsung and mostly unknown heroes of the faith by noting that the world was not worthy of them. And furthermore, he added that they all obtained a good report through faith. Hebrews 11, verses 38 to 39. They might not have had wealth or worldly fame, but they will receive the commendation of the King of Kings who one day will tell them, Well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that is the epitaph of our lives as well. I would like us to pray that God's word will point out the areas in our lives we need to fully surrender to him and ask him to help us to allow our words and our desires to please him, put him first, and make sure nothing keeps us from heaven. Jesus, thank you for your word. 
We've learned this week, thank you for your goodness and your grace and this invitation to follow you. Help us, Lord, I pray. If there's anything in our lives, reveal it to us. If there's anything keeping us from fully following you, from fully being your disciple, I pray, show us, Jesus. If there's anything we're clinging to more than we cling to you, God, please forgive us. Cleanse us today, God. And I pray, help us let our words, let our desires, let our actions, our motives, everything, may they please you. May they glorify you, Jesus. May we have the testimony of those who have gone on before, that we have lived good and faithful. And I pray, Lord Jesus, we can live a good and faithful life, serving you, following you with all our heart, all the way until the day you call us home. I pray all of this. Thank you for allowing us to follow in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to click subscribe and share so you don't miss an episode and neither will any of your friends. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got outstanding resources there, Bibles, Bible studies, devotionals, music, you name it, we've got it. Head over there. There are also great inspirational books, fiction, nonfiction, wonderful resources, God's Word for Life, curriculum, great stuff. Right there at PentecostalPublishing.com, you will find it all there. Next week, we continue this brand new series. The series is called Putting Others First, and our next story comes from Mark 10, verses 43. We're just continuing walking right through this story in Mark, and it is called Kingdom Principles. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.